Well, good morning. Hope you're good on this uh, rainy Sunday morning, but hey, uh, rain, sun, snow, whatever, God's good, amen. It's thankful uh, to be able to come and worship Him with you. I'm excited about what He's put on my heart this morning, excited about what I feel like the Lord's doing in our church right now and in His church in general. Um, and, and I want to share a little more about that today. I want to start out uh, reading in Joshua again. I just want to go back and revisit these two verses that we spoke a little bit about last week in Joshua chapter 1, uh, the first two verses. And then we're going to go to 1 John. And we're going to look at several different scriptures in 1 John um, and, and really begin to look at uh, what's it look like really when God begins to stir in someone's heart because I believe that's what's happening with a lot of people right now, a lot of people I talk to. And I really want to encourage and um, exhort you guys in this that uh, whatever God's doing in you, that we fan that into flame, that we allow that to swell up inside of us um, and, and that God is able to do through us um, in us first, and then through us, what he desires to do. So let's read um, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to go to 1 John, and we're going to read uh, chapter 1, 8 through 10 to begin with. And so let's, let's get into this. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. We talked about this last week, and I told you for a, quite a while, I felt like our church has been in a transition phase, something that God is beginning to, to shift around some, and I'm excited about that. Um, and, and I feel like I told you it back in August, actually, um, August 17th, uh, that God put that verse in my heart to get ready. And I, I began praying towards that and really saying, okay, God, what does that mean? What does it look like? And then last week, I felt like I was supposed to begin to share these things with you. And so um, as we're looking at this, we're looking at um, how we're getting ready, preparing our hearts for what's ahead, for what God has for us. Um, we're going to be looking at this for the rest of this year and maybe a little bit into January. And then um, we're going to see how the Lord wants to lead us um, from there. But now we're going to go over to 1 John chapter 1. I want to read verses 8 through 10, uh, pray, and we'll get into this message. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray, God. Lord, this morning I, I just pray um, that you speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that your spirit, the person, the God, Holy Spirit, would move in us, God, that your word would be empowered, we would be encouraged and challenged, that we would leave here different, with a different focus, a different mindset, God. God, we need you more than anything else. So, God, I thank you for your presence here. I pray we would have ears to hear what you say to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you, quick question, um, how many of you are 
kind of handy. You can do some things with your hands. It might be building something, you know. It might be working on a car, and, and then some of you, you're like, I can't do anything. I just call someone, right? Well, I, I've always enjoyed working with my hands. I've always enjoyed building things, kind of envisioning things and then building them, and, and especially uh, when we would do things to our house. I would, I would try to do that myself. I would, a lot of times, I would just... Um, say, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to pay somebody to do it. I'm just going to do it myself. And a while back, we decided to do an addition onto our house. And so I decided, look, I'm, I'm just going to do this. We'll save some money. We had a contractor who was going to do some of it, but I told him, look, I'm going to do this part of it, and then you come in and do this part, and, and it'll work out good. And so we got into this, and I don't know if it's because of my age. It, it, I'm not as young as I used to be. Um, I don't know what it was, but I, I quickly became overwhelmed, and I realized I can't do this by myself, right? I realized there's no way I'm possibly going to finish this. Like, we're going to be in, you know, in a retirement home before I get this part done if we wait on me, right? And so um, I started realizing I had to call in some help. So it was tough because how many of you don't like to have to humble yourself and go back and say, hey, I can't do something? I'm not one to admit that I can't do something very often. And so um, I, I had to go back, though, to this contractor and say, look, this is too much for me to do. There's no way I can possibly finish this um, on my own. And I'm going to need you to come in after all and do all of these things. And so he, he did, and, and, and he came in. It worked out much better. But what I realized is that I was incapable of doing what needed to be done. I, I didn't have the strength. I didn't have the ability to accomplish what was before me. I was thinking about that and specifically thinking about where God's called us to as a church and called his church to, to, to be and to become. And I was thinking about how it's the same way with the church, that, that we can accomplish what God wants to accomplish in our own strength. I think one of the biggest challenges facing the church today is that we don't really have a relationship or we don't know the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't know the person of the Holy Spirit. But in Psalm 127.1, the psalmist says this. He says that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. The Bible also tells us in Zechariah 4.6, Zechariah was a prophet. He was a prophet to um, a man by the name of Zerubbabel. And a man by the name of Joshua, they were in charge of rebuilding the temple, especially Zerubbabel. He was the one who was supposed to be kind of leading the building aspect of this. They got to a point where they got stuck and, and they were kind of distracted and it, it was, had halted the, the building of the temple. And Zechariah sent by God to go to Zerubbabel and he, he tells him, look, it's not by might nor by power that you're going to rebuild this temple it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And if we're going to be the church, if God is going to build his holy temple, his church, his people, the way he desires to build it, it's going to be because the spirit of God is working in us and through us. It's not going to be because of our might and our power. It's not going to be because of, of um, 
our, our wisdom, our own wisdom. It's not going to be because of our own intellect. It's not going to be because we come up with some great strategy and plan. It's going to be because we're leaning into God, trusting in him, and, and pressing into him, and allowing his spirit to determine our steps, allowing his spirit to guide our life, to allow his spirit to, to work in us, to allow his spirit to empower us to accomplish the things that we can accomplish. Listen, this is a big one, to allow his spirit to push us away from what is comfortable and awkward into what God needs us to do and wants us to do for his kingdom. And I believe that, but listen, the, the, that's what I believe it'll take, it'll require that God's calling us to. The good thing is I believe right now that that is starting. God told Zechariah also, he said, don't despise humble beginnings. Don't despise small beginnings. When you begin to see something small, sometimes it seems insignificant. But as God begins to grow it and he begins to work and he begins to move, pretty soon it can grow exponentially. And I believe this with all my heart, guys, that God can do, he, I know this, he can and will do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever think and imagine. I know this because I've seen it the last 10 years. So we're in this transition season, I feel like, but, and I'm excited about what's ahead. I'm more, I'll tell you this, I'm more excited today than I was when we first started the church. Started church, I was scared to death. And there's still that butterfly feeling, that nervousness about what's going on, what's going to happen, how's God going to do this, what's it going to look like. But I can tell you I'm incredibly excited about where we're going. Today, I really want to spend the next few minutes looking at what does it really look like when God begins to stir us up? Because we're in this season of getting ready. What's it going to look like when God begins to stir this? What's it going to look like when the Spirit is beginning to move? What's it looking like for some people right now who've come and talked to me about what God is doing? What does it look like in this? The first thing I want to tell you is that when God begins to move, he begins to move through his word empowered by his spirit. He begins to move through truth. See, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The reason that the word of God is living and active is because the spirit empowers it. It's God breathed. In other words, it came from God. It's his essence. It's Jesus is the word made flesh. It's his person. He, he is able to reveal our hearts. It's empowered by the Spirit of God. So God moves through his word and spirit. The first thing that I believe happens when God begins to move, and listen, this is not a fluffy, fuzzy, goosebumpy kind of truth. Like this is not one of those that typically people are going to shout about, right? Y'all don't shout anyway, but I'm just saying if we did. But he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. That's a huge word, deceive, because in 1 John, John is dealing with some heretical teachers who are coming in. They actually were in the church. They've left the church. Now they're trying to pull others away from the church. They're trying to pull others away from the gospel. They're trying to take their eyes off of Jesus and put them on themselves. And so they're trying to pull them away. And so he tells them, don't be deceived. And one of the things that these, these teachers must have been saying because we see how John words this is that, that they had gotten to a place where they had no sin. 
I know some people act like that, but that's not true, right? And so he's telling us this, and I believe this, and I believe John teaches this throughout 1 John is that when the Spirit begins to move, when God begins to move through His Word and His Spirit, He begins to reveal sin. It's not that sin, we get to a place where we don't see our sin, and it's even where a lot of times people think the closer they get to God, the less their sin will be there, the less they'll see their sin. But the thing is, the closer we get to God, there will be sin we've left behind, but the closer we get to a holy God, the more we're going to see that we're not like Him. And so every one of us, we have sin. I've said this before, but most of you sinned on the way here. It's it's a matter of fact. But when God begins to move and he begins to stir, and this has always been true of a word, when God begins to move and brings revival and brings life, is that sin begins to be revealed. Even in Acts 2, when Peter preaches this sermon and 3,000 people come to know the Lord, they were cut to the heart by what they heard. And I think one of the things that's happened in the church is this. We've kind of gotten so familiar with Jesus. We've kind of swung the pendulum too far in a way of just looking at Jesus as our friend. We kind of picture Jesus as the cuddly lamb. And that's true, he's our friend, he loves us, he's with us, he's he's there for us. It is true, but we can't forget that God is also the God that Isaiah saw in his temple. And the sight was so amazing, God's glory was so great that when he saw him and he saw his holiness and perfection and his glory and he saw himself, what he said was, I am ruined. It's the same God, Jesus, listen, that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, saw. And when he saw Jesus in his glorified state, John fell on his face as though he were dead. We can't lose sight of this holy, perfect, amazing God and and, and then somehow stop looking at the fact that I'm not like that. See, God will not condemn a believer, but God's spirit convicts believers. He convicts us to walk away from our sin and to turn to him. And when God begins to move, God's word and his spirit begin to reveal sin. We begin to see these things in our life. If you keep reading there in John chapter 2, he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Aren't you glad that John didn't stop at verse 10 in chapter 1? He's like, yeah, you got sin. God bless you. He goes on, he's saying, look, and he wants to be clear. He says, I'm writing to you children. What's he saying, children? He's addressing them in a way of affection. He's addressing them, letting them know I love you. But you got to understand, I'm writing this so you will not sin. He says, but we're not perfect, right? We just sang it. He says, but 
When you do sin, when this happens in your life, don't forget you have an advocate with the Father. It is Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for you. He has stepped in for you. He has taken your place on the cross so that you can be with God in heaven, so that you can be a part of God's plan now. And, and we have to see this, and this is so big, because in this we see that the Word of God and the Spirit begins to reveal the power of the cross, begins to reveal the power of God's grace so that he doesn't just leave us in our sin but if we never have to wrestle with the weight and gravity of our sin we'll never be amazed at the power of God's grace and if we begin to see God's power we begin to see his grace that he offers us through Jesus. And we realize that Jesus sits at his right hand and he's our advocate. He's our, our intercessor with the Father. And he's not up there going, oh God, please forgive him. Lord, Father, please forgive him. Don't, don't kill him. Don't kill him. Don't, don't, don't. Don't send him to hell. He's, it's not that way. I don't believe. Because see, God is now just in forgiving us because Jesus took the condemnation and wrath that should have been upon us. So that when God looks at Jesus, he sees that the sacrifice that was made for the sin. Otherwise, God would have been unjust and forgiving. But in Christ, our atoning sacrifice, he's made us one with him, and he did it in a just way because Jesus, who was sinless became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God as he took the punishment for our sin. If we can begin to see our sinfulness, feel the weight of our sin, not wallow in condemnation, but then move on to the fact that, yes, I'm not perfect, but God's grace covers me. The blood of Christ shed on the cross covers me. His sacrifice covers me. Then out of those two things, if there were nothing else, our hearts should burst with worship. If we see those two things clearly, that God's word and spirit, when he begins to move, it reveals our sin. God's word and spirit reveals the power of the cross and his grace. He reveals we've turned our back on him, but he says, don't forget I've made a way for you to come home. 1 John 2, 24 through 27. John writes this. He says, as for you, see that, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised, eternal life. But I want you guys to remember eternal life doesn't begin when you're dead. Eternal life begins the moment you come to faith in Christ because he brings us to the Father. And Jesus teaches us in John 17 that eternal life is to know the Father. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And so he's telling them, don't go after these teachers the anointing that's in you. In other words, the Holy Spirit that you received at faith is in you, not, not because of what these guys are teaching, but because of what you believed about the apostles' teaching about who Jesus is. He's saying, don't drift from this. 
And, and here's the thing, guys. He talks in here a lot about remaining, remaining. It makes me think about when he wrote in John 15 about abiding. It makes me think about Paul writing Galatians 5 where he talks about walking in the Spirit. And here he's telling us to remain. And I believe once we see our sin and God begins to reveal that through his word and spirit and we see the power of the cross, the next thing I believe, and all this can happen instantly. It doesn't have to like be a step-by-step thing. It could be, but I'm telling you, one of the things that begins to happen is God's word and spirit leads us to a greater dependence on God. We get to a place where we realize that God is the source of truth. That God is the way, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We begin to want to lean into God to find his wisdom, not to live by the wisdom of the world or my own understanding. We begin to realize that God's truth, it illuminates the path I should go on and not to just turn and go the way that everybody else is going. But sometimes as a follower of Jesus, the truth and the spirit begin to lead me to go against the grain. But I'm so dependent on God because I realize that he's the source of my life because of the life he's given me that I don't want to live in my own way any longer. So now I begin to hunger for him more. I have a greater hunger for his word. I have a greater hunger for his presence. I have a longing for his spirit. I begin to feel stirred that I want more of him. This should be our life as Christians. A greater dependence, a greater longing, a greater hunger. 1 John 3, 7 through 10 He says, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. And so he lays out some heavy words there. But when God's spirit begins to move, another thing that we begin to see is that we, we, we not only become knowledgeable of our sin, we not only recognize the power of the cross and we begin to worship and adore him the way he should be worshiped and adored because of what he's done for us and the salvation he offers us. But, but, and we don't all only just begin to become more dependent on him because we recognize him as the source of life and the source of truth, but we also begin to have a desire to walk away from the sin. It's something that happens when we realize who he is and the spirit is in us. He tells us this in here that we don't continue to sin because God's seed remains in us. What is the seed that is in us? It is God's word and the spirit. And so as we look at this, it's not that no one ever sins or he would have contradicted himself. He's telling us you don't continue in sin. In other words, you don't continue to walk away from God um, and, and go your own way, living in a sinful way. Why? Because the seed of his word and spirit is in you that has brought you life. And as we begin to turn from him, the spirit of God in us begins to turn us back. There's something in us that realizes this is not the way to life. This is the way to life. And I want to be 
be with him. I know when I got saved, when, when I was 24 years old, the one thing that scared me more than anything and still scares me to this day is that I would ever experience life on this earth or after this life that, that, that God wasn't present. And we begin to long for that. We begin to want that. We begin to become obedient. We begin to long for him to, to be in his presence. I think I may have shared this with you before, but when not long after I, I was saved, it was probably six months or so afterwards, I'd kind of been on this spiritual high and I started noticing that I didn't, you know, I didn't feel as close to God as I had. And, and I, like I said, I was scared. I didn't want to not be with him. I didn't want to not feel his presence with me. And, and so one night we were living in Waynesboro, it's hard to believe that God knows where Waynesboro is, but I went into our bedroom and I'm like, God, I want you more than anything else. And I sat down, I cut the light off. Susan was in the house. She was doing something somewhere else. And I cut the light off and I sat down Indian style in the floor. And I made up my mind. I said, God, I'm not leaving until your presence is here until I know, God, that you're with me. And I sat there, I don't know how long. I remember praying, Lord, please don't let Susan open the door with me sitting Indian style on the floor. And she didn't, but I, I remember sitting there and all of a sudden it, it felt like the room changed, the atmosphere changed. And I could sense the presence of God there and, and, and I don't know how to describe it. It may sound weird to you. All I could do is weep. I just sat in the floor by myself and wept because the presence of God, the goodness that God would dwell in and with a sinner like me. But when we really begin to see and be stirred by the spirit of God, there's something in us that whatever it means, whatever it takes, I, I want him want him I'm hungry for him and this new nature that he's given me and the spirit inside of me begins to be stirred up and I'm praying and worshiping and studying his word I'm fellowshipping with other believers and I'm fanning into flame the spirit that he's given me and it's just causing me to to, to want more of him it's such an odd thing the Christian life because in one sense we can be satisfied by God and yet we never quit longing for more John 4, 13 through 19. I'm actually going to read 13 through 16. He says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Another thing that begins to happen is our love for God begins to grow. As we begin to see more clearly his love for us, we draw into him, we press into him, we begin loving him more. And, and here's the crazy thing, that our ability to love him is because he loved us first. Our ability to love him is because he's given us his spirit. And as Paul wrote, he said, it's his spirit that causes us to cry out, Father. But as that is stirred in us, and I believe God is stirring this in people, our love for God grows. The next thing is in... 
verse 20 and 21. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. In other words, when we begin to grow in God's love and we're relying on and living in his love, as it says, his love begins to grow out of us. It begins to pour out of us. And no, listen, no true move of God ever existed and stayed in four walls. Even in the Old Testament, when the temple was a symbol of the presence of God, God's purpose for them was to fill the earth with his glory. When God moves, we move. When God is working in us, he begins to work through us. And guys, this is beginning. It's something that I feel, I really believe in my heart is beginning. This morning, I felt like God took me to Ezekiel chapter 37. It's a familiar passage, but I want to read just a little of it and we'll close up here. It says, the hand of the Lord was on me. This is Ezekiel prophesying to Israel. Israel was in captivity at this point in Babylon and and they were in a bad, desperate place. There's different interpretations of this scripture, but the one thing that we know is that when God begins to bring dead people to life, it's through his word and his spirit moving. And so he says this, he says, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. How did he answer me? He said, sovereign Lord, you're sovereign. You're the only one that knows your plan. God, you know what you're going to do. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. That word for breath is ruah. It means breath or spirit or wind. He's saying, I'm going to put my spirit, I'm going to put my breath, I'm going to blow in you like a wind, and you're going to come to life. How many of you this morning are in a place where you need the life of God working in you? I feel like, I feel like God kind of, is really speaking that this morning. I feel like there's a heaviness that exists over this service almost every week. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of it. Don't you see, listen, that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and that his desire is to rob you of relationship with God, who is the source of your life, who is the one who gives life. Apart from him, there is no true life. And yet, we can come in week after week, and it's like this blanket is over us. Aren't you tired? It ought to make you angry to the point of standing up rebuking and resisting Satan and moving closer to God, knowing the promise is that he'll move closer to me. But until we've had enough, Satan's going to keep kicking our butt all over the place. I want to encourage you. Even in a hopeless situation, a valley of dry bones, God said, I'm going to make breath blow in you. 
I don't know, y'all. I just feel like that's what the Lord wants me to stay on right now. In fact, I'm going to say this right now. If you're here and you know God is speaking, man, you're in a dry place with dead bones. You, you feel like it may be hopeless. Or maybe you're just in this place of religious. It's just a religious staleness that's all over your life. I believe this this morning that God wants to breathe fresh life into you. Some of you are in a place where at one time you were on fire for the Lord. You were a 10 out of 1 to 10. You were a 10. You wanted him. You hungered for him. You longed for him. But over time, you've gotten to this place where it's more like a 5, maybe a 3. And you know you've drifted. Today, God desires to breathe his life, his breath, his spirit to blow through you like a wind. If that's you, before we go any further, I want you to raise your hand. You raise your hand this morning. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Amen. Church, my desire is that we don't just come in here. Listen, life's too busy. If we're just going to come in and let this exist, go do something else. It's time for us to stand up in the power of Christ and the Spirit in us and say enough is enough and we puncture through this, this veil. And this veil only exists because we allow it. Jesus, when he died on the cross, it says the veil of the temple was torn. In other words, the temple curtain that represented our sin that separated us from the presence of God, that thing was torn once and for all. Listen, we can come into the presence of God. Don't settle for less than that. Father, I thank you. For your work, I thank you for your presence, God. God, today I pray that you would lift this thing off. God, we rebuke, we rebuke Satan in Jesus' name. Lord, open our eyes by the power of your Spirit for those who are dry and thirsty, Lord. I pray your Spirit, the wind of God, the breath of God, would blow through them, that they would feel a stirring in their heart that the, the dry areas of their life would begin to come alive. That they would rise up in the spirit. They would rise up in the authority of Christ and they would not take this any longer. God, we thank you, Lord. It's nothing that we can do. It's not by our might or by our power. It's by your spirit. And today, God, we cry out to you that he is what we need. God, today, blow into our spirits. Set our hearts on fire, Lord. Set our hearts on fire, Lord. Set our spirits on fire, Lord. Let your word be like fire in our bones, God. Carry this out past these walls, Lord. Ezekiel goes on and it says, and I was prophesying, when, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. On down in verse 10, he says that when they came to life and stood to their feet, it was a vast army. And this is what I 
I know today that as we look around, it doesn't look like a vast army. But in this period, this transition, this place where God's been stirring my heart, I believe this with everything in me, that, that God is raising up an army, not just in Connection Church, but in the Big C Church, and not just in Statesboro, but in this country, not just in this country, but in this world, that God's plan to be glorified throughout the earth is going to happen. And, and it might not look like much now. It might be a small, humble beginning. But the thing I want to tell you is that in my spirit, I hear a rattling. In my spirit, I hear a noise. In my spirit, I feel like the bones are coming together. Something's happening. God's doing something. And to our eyes in the natural, it doesn't look like much. But today, I want to encourage you to look beyond what you see to what God desires to do. If this is going to happen, it's going to happen through worship and prayer. God keeps, I just feel that over and over and over and over and over happening through worship and prayer, through crying out to him, through losing um, consciousness of, of what people are doing or saying, not just in here, but out there, that, that we're not hindered by our dignity, but that we become worshipers of God, true worshipers of God who worship Him in spirit and in truth, and that we begin to cry out to Him, that His spirit would move, that we step in the gap for people who don't know Him. We step in the gap for this world that, that needs Him, and God begins to use us as vessels to bring His spirit, to bring His kingdom come here on earth. And this morning, listen, I don't... If you gotta go, you can go, listen, but we're fixing to worship. We're fixing to sing, we're fixing to cry out to the God. You can sing, you can pray, whatever it is, but right now I'm gonna invite you that you stand to your feet. Lift up your eyes to the King. Lift up your eyes to the one who gave his life for your sin. Lift up your eyes. Ask God to fill you, to flood you with his presence with his breath, with his spirit, with the wind of God in your life, that dry bones come to life. And just tell God even that you just want whatever it is he has for you. God, whatever it is, I want it. God, I surrender to you. I want more of you. God, God I want to lay down my life before you. Anything that would hinder me, God, I lay it down. God, we worship you here. We worship you now. Thank you that you're here. Open our eyes to see more clearly. Lift this veil, lift this blanket off and let your spirit rule and reign in our lives.